<laughs> Amen. What a blessing. Take your Bibles this morning if you're able to stand with us. Judges chapter number one as we begin a brand new series this morning. And I sure enjoyed our time looking at treasures in the darkness. And this morning we come to Judges chapter number one and a brand new series. And I've entitled it, What is Going On? That's a pretty good question, is it not? How many of you have wondered that? What's going on? What in the world is going on? And so this morning we get started here in Judges chapter number 1, and the Bible says in Judges 1, and we'll also look at a couple verses in Judges chapter number 2, the Bible says, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up? For us against the Canaanites first to fight against them. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. <clears throat> Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. Now, before we look at these other couple verses, let me just give you a little uh, context here. The, the prior to this, especially in the book of Joshua, when you get to the the, the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the beginning of the book Joshua, you find that Moses, the great man, the great leader of God's people, that God spoke to Moses, and then, of course, Moses instructed the people, Moses led the people. And then, as Moses is, of course, nearing the end of his days, waiting in the wings is a young man by the name of Joshua. Joshua is there, and, of course, God is grooming him, and, of course, Joshua is watching Moses, his successor. He's learning how, how Moses is listening to God. And, of course, then Joshua lives his life leading the people as Moses did and God instructing him what to say to the people. And, of course, even at the end of his life, he tells them in Joshua 24, Choose you this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a great spirit, what a great attitude. But you come to the next book in our Bible, the book of Judges, and you find that it says right at the beginning, at the death of Joshua, that the children of Israel asked the Lord. By the way, it's a good thing to ask God. So here they are. Lord, Joshua's gone. Who's going to lead us now? Who's going to show us the way? And notice as you look in chapter number 2, the Bible says in verse 1, And the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Boking and said, I made you to go up out of the Egypt and have brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Aren't you glad that God is a God that will never break his covenant? By the way, that's a great statement to underline in your Bible. God says, I will never break my covenant with you. God never has, and he never will. Every promise that God has ever made has already been fulfilled or will be fulfilled. Look at verse 2. And God says, and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why? Have you done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as 
thorns in your sides, and their gods, notice little letter G, plural, shall be a snare unto you. And it shall, it, notice, it, and it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and did what? And they wept. I wonder today how heartbroken we are over what's going on in the world. How do we weep, do we care about what's going on in America? And we look this morning at, yes, Israel. Israel is not America. But we can learn, as the Bible tells us, these things were given to us as examples that we can learn from them. And so may God help us to learn from the Bible this morning, not from this pastor, what in the world is going on. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Pray that you would bless your word. God, I pray that there might not be any comments this morning that would come from me, but everything would be from you to your people. God, bless your word this morning. And as you deal with us, God, may we be willing to make those changes and to see what you are pointing out to us. And God, I pray that you would wake us up individually. You would wake us up collectively as your church. That you would shake us and wake us up as a nation. Because God, if we do not change our ways then we will be just like Israel. And I pray that you'd help us this morning. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. You may be seated this morning. The book of Judges, interesting study. When you study the Bible, it's actually one of the darkest or the darkest books in the Bible. It's the period of history in Israel's time where they were without a strong, here it is, not just a strong, but a godly leader. See, we don't want leadership. We want godly leadership. That's why you need to pray for whoever it is that sits in the Oval Office of our country. For those that would make the laws of our land. Those that would uphold the laws of our land. Because what we need today, as God's people, and as Americans, is we need godly leadership. That's what they did not have. The Bible says in Judges 17 and 6, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody wants to see things their way. You know what we need to see today? The things that are God's way. What thus saith the Lord, what God would have for us. You see, these people in Israel's day and the book of Judges and those that are among us today understand that the Bible is very descriptive about those that are doing things that are right in their own eyes. Galatians 5 describes it as the works of the flesh, and these works are manifest. In other words, we see them today. What are some of these works? Notice the Bible lists them. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, 
variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like. In other words, the list goes on and on and on. And the Bible says of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. God says, in Israel's day, these works of the flesh, they were manifest. And today, these works of the flesh are evident in the world that we live in. Look, man, we understand this. Man left to himself finds himself in deep trouble. That's what the Word of God teaches us, as in the case of Israel. Look, we can go back, and we don't have time this morning, but even in a few verses that we read, God reminded Israel that it was He that had delivered them from slavery in Egypt's land. It was He that had led them through the wilderness. It was He that blessed them and gave them blessing on top of blessing on top of blessing. How many of you are blessed this morning? Every hand should be up this morning. God has blessed us the way he did Israel. He favored Israel. They were the chosen ones of the Lord God Almighty. God led them and God fed them and God protected them. And the Bible instructs us here, as you come to this portion of the word of God, that it was God that led them into that land known as Canaan, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. It was given to them by the almighty hand of God, by the will of God himself. And all that they had to do as a people was to enter into that land and destroy those people that were living in the land, those that were there that were against God, and then just take up residence in that land that God had promised to them. You see, God had done so much for them but yet, what did Israel do? With all that God had done for them, they denied the Lord their God. Not only that, they defiled the land. They defied the law of their God. And the result of that was, and this is sad, the result of their defiance, their rebellion, their disobedience, was that the God who loved them was forced to judge the people that he loves so much. I certainly understand that as a parent. There are times where my children will do things. And because I am their father, I've been given a responsibility, authority in their lives to try to correct them. It was never fun, enjoyable, pleasurable to have to deal with my children. But you see, what God is showing us here of Israel in Judges chapter 1. By the way, we're just looking at the beginning of it. You study the entire book. It was a national disaster. God's dealing with Israel that had denied him, that had defiled the land that he gave to them, that defied the laws that he had given to them. And God was forced to judge these people that he loved so much and if you look down through history, you can see nation after nation after nation that had, just like Israel, had a great beginning. I mean, they got off to a good start. They began to achieve some tremendous success along the way. But then eventually they 
They suffered a horrible fall, a tragic end. And this morning, when you think about Israel, that kind of brings us this morning in my mind and in my heart, and maybe you're like me, that brings us to America this morning. I think about our land, our nation, America. There's no doubt that America, too, got off to an amazing start. We had a great beginning. I love how somebody said our great nation was forged on the anvil of truth with the hammer of the word of God by men who tightly held to their convictions, who were held in the strong grip of their faith in Almighty God. There's no disputing today the fact that America was founded not as a religious nation, but as a Christian nation. There is a difference. There's a lot of religion in the world today. But Jesus Christ did not come to establish religion. Jesus began what we call Bible Christianity. And as we think about our nation, look, I don't dispute the fact there are some today, and, and what they're doing, and they continue to try to do, is to take out any semblance of God in our history. There's going to be a generation of young people going to school right now that will know nothing about how our nation was founded upon God and His Word. You see, no question, God Himself had a hand in the formation of our country. But just like Israel of old here in the book of Judges and other places, I think that we can see that America too has denied the Lord God who formed us. We've come a long way. We've defiled his land. Anything man touches, he ruins. You ever buy a new car and let your kids ride in it? Happy Meal French fries, Coke spilt on it coffee stains. Man has defiled the land that God has given to us and we continue, we continue to defy his law, the word of God. And the result of that will be that America is or America will be no more a Christian nation. We're seeing that come to fruition. We're no longer one nation under God. We're like Israel. We've turned away from God. We've gone after our own gods, just like Israel did in their day. Ronald Reagan said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. How true that is. As a nation, we've experienced great and manifold blessings from God in the past. But I'm afraid if we're not careful, we're going to face God's hand of judgment in the future. As I look at this passage this morning, and as I spent this week just reflecting on God dealing with Israel and what was going on in Judges and other places in Israel's history, I think we can learn a lesson from Israel this morning as they were moving away from God. So as we look at this passage, we can't help but notice what happened to them was happening to them because of their sin. See, the Bible tells us all have sinned. We, we've got a sin problem. From the beginning of time and from the garden, we have had that problem of sin in our lives. And as we look this morning, we need to observe how God confronts 
a national disaster in Israel. And if you're wondering this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, pastor, you're in the Old Testament of the Bible. What does this have to do with us? Can I tell you that I really believe without making any uh, connections this morning, I think it really gives us a glimpse of what could lie in store for America if America does not turn back to God. Because when I think about our land, we have religion, but you know what we don't have today? We have no fear of God, no respect of God. We've lost the awe of a holy God. We have civilization, we have culture, but our civilization and our culture are built upon the shifting sands of human philosophies. When instead, what they should be built on is the word of God. So I want you to see with me this morning a nation that was marked by a glorious conquest. If you look back in chapter 1 again, when Israel came into this land, the land of Canaan, I, I, I don't think this is stretching it. If I could say it this way, with no disrespect to the word of God, the sky was the limit. God was giving them the land. God was blessing them. And do you know this morning as a child of God that for you and I, the sky is the limit? God wants to bless. He has always wanted to bless his children. They come into the land here and God promises this land, but all they had to do was claim it by faith. When you think about the promises that God has for us, the only thing keeping us from having what God wants is we need to claim it by faith. God promised this land to them and they were enjoying some of those great things in those early days with this glorious conquest. Notice a few things they enjoyed. They enjoyed the providence of God. The Bible says in verse number two of chapter one, in the last part of that verse, he says, I have delivered the land into his hand. God says, I've given it to you. I've delivered God's providence. He's providing. The Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? God loves to provide for us as his children. And they enjoyed the providence of God. But notice they also enjoyed God's protection. The Bible says, look in chapter 1, look at verse number 19 of this chapter. It says here, and the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. Interesting phraseology here. The Lord was with Judah, but notice again, watch this, and he drave out. God drave them out. God began to protect them. God was actively involved in helping Israel to conquer the land. I love this, how, listen, everything we do, we don't do it alone. God goes with us. God not only provides for us, but God actually protects us. God prepared the way for them, and God also protected them in the way. They were enjoying the providence of God in this, this glorious conquest. They were enjoying the protection of God in this conquest. Notice they also enjoyed God's power. The Bible says in verse number four, look at this. The Bible says, and Judah went up, and the Lord 
delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they slew of them in Bezek 10,000 men. So again, notice the phrase there, the Lord delivered them. God was the real power here in this battle that they were fighting and these enemies that they were fighting against. They were not doing it in their strength. God was the one that was the real power there. And folks, listen, even me this morning and you in your daily life as a Christian, we cannot do things in the flesh. We need the power of God in our lives. And they were enjoying that in the early days. And I think the longer we live as Christians, we tend to forget about how God was with us in those early days, how the power of God was helping us to raise our family and to be a child of God. And so long we set aside the power of God and we try to do things in our own strength. You see, they were enjoying God's provision and his protection and his power. But look at this, they were also enjoying God's promises. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, notice that very first verse how God's promise here, the Lord said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house, here's the promise, unto a land. God says, hey, I'll give you some land. You know, look, you think about you this morning. If you have a house, you have a car, you have anything, whatever possessions it may be, God gave those to you. You came into this world with nothing. And you're going to leave this world with nothing. God says, look, you don't deserve it, but this is how good I am. I'm going to give you a land. And he did that through Abram or later Abraham. He says, a land that I will show thee. So for 100 or hundreds of years, God had been promising that he was going to give Israel a homeland, a place that they could call their own. And here in these verses in Judges chapter number 1, God is fulfilling those promise, that promise that he made here that he was going to give them a land, the land. Now, again, I will tell you this, that America is not Israel, but in these verses, I think they illustrate pretty plainly that the Lord has done the same for us. Hey, listen, I love America. That was pretty weak. You love America? You know what I say to people that don't love America? Get a, get a flight on the next plane out. People that want to burn our flag, go fly someone else's flag. Stand when you hear the Pledge of Allegiance. There's a time and a place to take a knee. I'm not against that. But don't disrespect our land because it was founded upon God and His Word. Say, I don't like that, Pastor. Take it up with God. Because this morning, as I look at this illustration this morning, as surely as Israel was a nation formed by God, and it was a nation that was formed around God, I believe that the same could be said about the United States of America this morning. Pat Patrick Henry said at the Virginia Assembly in 1775, it cannot be emphasized too much or repeated too strongly that America was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not upon religions, but upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about the first president of the United States, George Washington. George Washington read the Bible when he was inaugurated. George Washington took his oath of office with his hand upon the Bible, and then he leaned upon it, and he kissed the pages of the word of God. 
his first official act as the President of the United States was to take the entire Senate, boy, would to God this would happen today, he took the entire Senate in the House of Representatives to church. What a wonderful, glorious thing that would be. And get this, they stayed at church for a two-hour worship service. Washington said it would be peculiarly improper to omit in this first official act my fervent supplication to that almighty being who rules over the universe, who presides in the councils of nations, whose providential aids can supply every human defect that his benediction may consecrate to the liberties and happiness of the people of the United States. He went on to say, no people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs more than the people of the United States. Every step by which they have advanced the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. America, she's not an accident. This has been God's doing. We are one nation under God. She is the product of a sovereign, providential will of an almighty God. She was founded upon the word of God. And down through the years, God has blessed America. Our nation has enjoyed, just like Israel, we've enjoyed God's providence. We've enjoyed God's protection. We've enjoyed God's power. We have loved and been blessed by God's promises. Many today would love to rip these, these facts, these truths from the fabric of our nation's history but listen, whether they remove them or not, those facts are true. America was a nation that was marked by a glorious conquest. But as we continue to study Israel, I want you to see the example that God would have us to see this morning because after that glorious beginning, that glorious conquest, they became a nation marred by a gradual compromise. A gradual compromise. Chapter number 2, the Bible says in verse 1 again that the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you to get up out of the Egypt and I have brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why? Why, God says, have you done this? You see, we see this compromise. And by the way, Israel just didn't wake up one day and compromise. It was a slippery slope. It was a gradual compromise because Israel did not remain well with God. Notice what it says in Judges chapter 2 and verse 7 and verse 10. The people served the Lord. Notice these words. All the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel and also all that generation were gathered under their fathers. Boy, if it stopped there, it'd be good. But notice the next 
couple statements. There arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord. There's generations today that have not seen God's working, that have not seen revival, that have not seen the protection of God. And it's not God's fault. The Bible says here there was another generation. They didn't know the Lord nor the works which he had done for Israel. The Bible says here in these verses in chapter 2 that the older generation, the ones that had seen the protection of God and the providence of God, the power of God, the promises of God, that older generation died off. And a new generation came of age. This new generation, they forgot their heritage. They forgot about the God that had made them what they were. They, they began to deny that there was a God. And Israel began a slow, steady decline, a descent into compromise. And so what does God do? God gives them a direct command to be obeyed. Notice in your Bible or in your notes here, Numbers 33, beginning in verse number 51. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall drive out, what's the next word? Then ye shall drive out what? How many? All of the inhabitants of the land before you and destroy how many of their pictures? All of their pictures. And destroy how many of their molten images? All of them. And pluck down how many of their high places? All of them. You know what all means? It means all. I'm speaking to a smart crowd this morning. Notice as we read on, I think, by the way, I think so far what we've read, God was pretty specific. People say a lot of times, well, I just don't know what God wants. Just look at the Bible. See what the scriptures say. And the Bible goes on to say, and ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein. For I have given you the land to possess it, and ye shall divide the land by lot for an inheritance among your families. And to the more ye shall give the more inheritance, and to the fewer ye shall give the less inheritance. Every man's inheritance shall be in the place where his lot falleth. According to the tribes of your fathers ye shall inherit, but, got to circle that word, if ye will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then... There's another word you ought to circle. Then it shall come to pass. Remember we talked about the promises of God? That those which ye let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes, thorns in your sides, and shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. Look, it's still true, folks. Look at me. There are always consequences to our sins. We're going to look at that tonight. Come back tonight. I'm going to give you the Paul Harvey tonight. I'm going to give you the rest of the story. God says, obey me. I'm going to bless you. But if you don't obey me, if you don't get rid of all, you keep some. Remember what Saul did? Saul destroyed some, but he kept. And then all of a sudden, what is that bleeding of the sheep that I hear? 
Remember what Saul, the great leader, did? He, he basically shifted the blame, but the people. God says, if, if you don't do what I ask you to do, look at it, let's look at it again. There are going to be pricks in your eyes, thorns in your side, shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. Moreover, it shall come to pass that I shall do unto you as I thought to do unto them. Wow. God says, you know, I was planning on dealing with them. But if you're going to disobey me, then I'm going to deal with you the way I intended to deal with them. I learned a long time ago, you don't mess with God. But yet Israel, they became marred by this gradual compromise. They were warned that if they didn't drive out all the inhabitants of the land, the nations, that they would be afflicted by God himself. God says that he would turn away from them. And you know what happened? This became a reality in Israel. Notice the things they did. They feared the Canaanites. Remember the verse we read in chapter 1, verse number 19? How the Bible says again that the Lord was with Judah. He drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. Folks, look, don't get hung up on that chariots of iron. That sounds powerful, but I think I know someone more powerful. See, the issue wasn't the chariots of iron. The real issue was their unbelief. The real issue was their distrust. The real issue was their, their uh, lack of faith in God. That was the real issue. They feared the Canaanites. Look at the Bible says in your notes there, Joshua 17. But Joshua here, leading the people, he spake unto the house of Joseph, even unto Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people and hast great, what? Power. Now watch this. Thou shalt not have one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, and thou shalt cut it down, and the ongoings of it shall be thine, for thou shalt... Drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, though they be strong. So Joshua told the people, even before this day, he says, look, he says, thou art a great people. You have great power. Why? Because you have a great God. He says, look, they might have chariots of iron, but you have God on your side. Joshua told the people that, but they feared the Canaanites. Not only did they fear the Canaanites, but they favored the Canaanites. Look at, look at your Bible, chapter 1, look at verse 27. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and her towns, nor Tanakh and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Ibelium and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Verse 28, And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelled in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelled in Gezer among them. Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron nor the inhabitants of Nahalo, but the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributaries. The Bible says, 
that they became tributes. Uh, to, they did tribute unto them. They became their tributaries. They dwelt among them. In other words, they favored the Canaanites. What the Bible is saying here that they did not drive out, as God said, I want all of them gone. They didn't drive all of them out, but what did they do? They actually forced them to work for them, for Israel. They favored them. They did not do what God asked them to do. They feared the Canaanites. They favored the Canaanites. Notice also, they frequented the Canaanites. Look in your Bible in verse 32 of chapter 1. But the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Verse 33. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beshemesh, nor the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but he dwelt among the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beshemesh and Beth Anath became tributaries unto them. See, just when you thought, as you're reading your Bible, that things were bad enough, it actually gets worse. Some of the Israelites were dwelling among the Canaanites. The Bible says they became comfortable with the vile, wicked ways of the Canaanites. They began to accept the ways of the Canaanites and they made them their own. Folks, that, another word for that is compromise. See, they began to give up their beliefs and what they held to, what they were taught. They began to adopt and be comfortable with the wicked ways of the world around them. And that same trend is what we're seeing in America today. We are allowing the world into the church. Christians are no longer distinctive in who they are. And folks, listen, I'm not just talking about the external. Many times we want to make a big deal about how somebody looks. It all begins in the heart. Things are made manifest from the inside out. We've already taken many of the same steps down that same slippery slope that Israel took many years ago. The Bible again says that every man, every woman in America is doing that which was right in their own eyes, just like they were doing in the days of Israel. There was no uh, fixed standard of right or wrong. Everything is gray. The lines are blurred or there are no lines. People are doing as they play, please. They want to do what they want to do. And as they do it, they do it with no regard to God. Doesn't matter what God wants. That's the way it is in our nation today. Can I give you some staggering statistics? 1960, yes, 1960, 60 years ago. A poll was taken that showed 65% of Americans believed at that time that the Bible was the inerrant, inspired word of God, 65%, which honestly, that's sad, but that's a good figure compared to these next ones I'm about to give you. Because from 1960 to 1999, that 65% went to 32%. 92. That's amazing. 28 years ago. 32% of the people believed that the word of God was inspired, inerrant. You know what the word inerrant means? Without errors, without omission. That every word of the Bible is true. Why? Because it's God's word. Then you move on in 2017, just three years ago, that number from 32% dropped to 24. And then here we are in 2020. Who knows what the percent is now? 
I just have one simple question for you this morning. You don't have to answer it. Do you believe that every word in that book you hold this morning is true? Do you believe that every word, I believe so much so down to every jot and tittle that it is all God's word. Every word of God is inspired of God. It is given to us and it is what we need to help us to live a life that is pleasing to God. And this is why, in other words, when you think about this, these statistics, less than one-fourth of Americans today believe that there is a perfect standard of judging what is right and wrong. Do you get where I'm going with this? Do you get where many people are going today? Because they don't want there to be a standard of what is right and wrong. They just want anything goes. They want to do that which is right in their own eyes. See, that's why they're working so hard. By the way, it all started many years ago when they took the Bible and prayer out of schools. And can I tell you, there's an agenda that they're after that is not anywhere near complete. And not just this election, but in elections to come, they are going to continue to try to attack God's word and the truth. And to do away with any standard. And you know what we have this morning? We have a perfect standard. We have God's word. God has given us his word. And as we see his word and we read and study, you know what we're seeing is? God's word is being lived out in our lives today. We're seeing it in real life. Look, folks, you don't need to turn on the TV to some reality show. Just read your Bible. Because God's word is being lived out today. Judges 2.10, also the, the, that generation were gathered under their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. There was another poll that was taken in 1992. That particular poll asked this question, as an American, do you believe that there are moral absolutes? I, just, I want to tell you, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Some of you had the privilege to be, and you ought to thank God you were raised in a Christian home. But I wasn't raised in a Christian home. But I'll tell you to this day, I was thankful that I at least was raised in a home that was moral. My parents taught me right from wrong. I was raised that you respected your elders, that you said, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. By the way, I still believe that. But they ask Americans, do you believe? And I want you to notice here, as, it's, as you already see it there, that this poll was taken, and that as this poll was taken, they, they wanted to know, do you believe that there are some things that are absolutely wrong and some things that are absolutely right. 70% who answered this poll said that they did not believe in moral absolutes. Folks, that's scary. 70% no moral absolutes. And the reason I say that is because our children and our grandchildren are being taught that there are no absolutes, that there are no wrong answers, that nothing is right, nothing is wrong. And that, folks, I'll be honest with you, that, that is frightening. When you stop and think about it. I mean, you, you go to some of these sporting events, no one wins, no one loses, everyone's a winner. The world has changed. It's frightening if you follow this to a logical end, because when you think about how that there are no rights and there are no wrongs, that means that 
things like abortion and murder and drug use and alcohol use and premarital and extramarital sex and on and on and on, that these things are all right if you want to do them. Am I speaking the truth? A recent survey found that 57%, how about this, of professing Christians, professing Christians believed in moral absolutes, only 57%. America's in a mess today. We have no clear standard for right or wrong. The door's open for people to do as they please. Just like they did in the days of Israel. You know what's happening is, we are sliding into compromise. It is chaos in the world today. And you know what Isaiah said? Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light, light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That speaks so well of the day that we live in today. Like Israel, you know what we're doing? We are so busy, we are so busy as a, as a nation, as a people, compromising with our Canaanites. See, they couldn't get the Canaanites out or they would not drive them all out. They kept parts of the Canaanites. See, we cannot, as a, as a nation today, we cannot overcome our chariots of iron. You know what our chariots of iron are in the world today, in our nation today? Drugs, crime, abortion, immorality, sexual perversion, and moral decay. That is what our chariots of iron are. Can I remind you what God told Israel? You are a great people because you have a great God. That there is nothing that our God cannot do. But see, we've welcomed all these things into our nations. We face these Canaanites that we fear. See, Israel feared the Canaanites. They would not drive them all out. And when we face the Canaanites and we fear them, we simply adjust to them. We simply accept the ways of the Canaanites, watch this, as a part of life. That's just the way it is now, Pastor. No, that's not the way it is when it comes to the eyes of God. As, Canaan, as, as, as Americans today, we deal with Canaanites that we favor. What have we done today as a nation? We've legalized gambling, the lotteries, alcohol, on and on and on. These become accepted by society. Why? Because they're bringing revenues. We've been fed that line of garbage. How they're bringing revenues into the hands of our community, into our government. They come at an enormous cost because through all of these systems and all these things that they're introducing, we see broken homes. We see innocent lives that are being shattered. We see people preying on the poor. America is paying a high price economically. Why? Because we are turning away from God and we are heading off into compromise. We tolerate these Canaanites. Why? Because they are supposedly working for us. They're supposedly helping us. And we must also address not only the Canaanites that we fear and we just adjust to them, accept them, and the Canaanites that we favor and we begin to legalize things that, that really God would not have us to do as a nation. And then we also need to address the Canaanites that we frequent, how we live around sin so much so that we, we begin to become desensitized to things. Listen, myself included, we get to the place where we'll watch something or we'll listen to something that we would have never done many years ago as a Christian. We become desensitized to it. 
doesn't bother us anymore. Nothing shocks us anymore. But it used to. There used to be a holy standard to a holy God, but instead of maintaining our spiritual purity, we begin to adopt the ways of the world. We, we, we Listen to this. We talk like them. We walk like them. We do what they do. We go where they go. We watch what they watch. We like what they like. We smoke what they smoke. We drink what they drink. We might as well be them, is in other words, what God's saying to us. See, we've adopted the attitude that sin is not all that bad anymore. Everyone does that which is right. In his own eyes. We've allowed the walls of separation that existed between the church and the world to just erode to the place that it's really hard to tell the difference between the world and the church anymore. I grow weary sometimes. And, and again, I don't get mad or anything like that, but people, people, Christian people who will say, hey, pastor, you think we could maybe do this? You think maybe we could try this? You know what I always do? Is I always weigh it against the word of God. God, is this something that you'd get the glory out of? God, is this something you'd be pleased with? I know people mean well. But I'm telling you, you walk in the average church in our community today, and it will not resemble a church service. It more will resemble a rock concert, a light show. A form of entertainment. Say, boy, Pastor, if we just we just did this and this and this, what a crowd we'd get here. You know what? I'd rather have 50 than 500. You know why? Because the only person we need to please today is not the flesh, it's God. But we've compromised. We see how God deals with this issue with Israel. And can I tell you this morning, friend, don't be fooled. You cannot play around with sin and not get burned. Look what Proverbs 6, 27, can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Things quickly have a way of getting out of hand. It just happens like that. I, I won't tell you the whole story but it's a true story i forgot how many years ago it was but there was a man he wanted to uh he wanted to figure out he, so what he did was he he went to some uh store not a normal store and he bought these uh, kind of uh weather balloons and he got a, he got a whole bunch of them and he inflated them and he strapped them tied them to his lawn chair and he was just going to go up about 30 feet and just kind of stay up above his property for a while and he was going to come back down and he got up there and didn't realize, and the wind came along, and it swept him away. And it was out in California, and it swept him out to sea. <laughs> Planes were flying by, 747s, and the, 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 the one pilot reported back to, to, to the airport and said, I just saw a man in a lawn chair. They had, to, they had a, a helicopter try to rescue him. They finally had to get the helicopter above him because of the, the, the wind that the helicopter was producing. They lowered a rope down. He grabbed the rope and left his lawn chair, and they pulled him up to safety. And when they, got, when they landed, they arrested him. He said, it just happened so quickly. 
You think about what's going on today. How did we get in this mess? Does it bother anybody else? Because it sure bothers me. And I know that if it bothers me, it bothers God. And I think about the word of God, how just like Israel, we've become a nation of compromisers. We fear the Canaanites, and we favor them, and we frequent with them. We dwell among them. We're afraid to take a stand against sin. Why? Because we're afraid that somebody might label us intolerant. We're so politically correct today that we're afraid that anything we do might offend them with our religion. Hey, listen, the world doesn't mind to offend us with wicked, vile things. Maybe some people need to get offended by the Word of God. That's called conviction. We're already paying a high price as a nation for our disobedience, and I'm afraid that Honestly, you study this, this illustration of Israel. I really believe that we are scheduled for a harsher judgment. You know why? Because we have a greater accountability. We've got much more of the word of God than Israel ever had. But notice Isaiah 26, 21. The Bible says, Behold, the Lord cometh out of his place. Why is God coming out of his place? The prophet said, To punish the inhabitants of for their iniquity. Sin makes God sick. And God loves us too much to let us go on in our own ways. Tonight we're going to look at the consequences to compromise. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I hope this morning that you saw the immediate context of Israel, how they found themselves in the mess they did, and the reason they were there was because of their own sin, their own disobedience. Oh, they got off to a great start, but boy, it went south.